Good morning, church. My name is Bobby Nemeth, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Evangel, and I'm just so excited to be sharing with you this morning in this series. God has given a word in my heart uh, that has just been burning with inside me, and over the past two weeks as a church, we've just been exploring and looking at the prophetic pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, and specifically in the prophets and Psalms. And we began our exploration seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of God's desire to be with us. You know, from the very beginning, beginning, God has had one desire, and that's to make his dwelling among us, to walk among us, to be our God, and that we would respond and be his people. He wanted to be in relationship with us so much that at the fullness of time, because you know that God has this prophetic story that he's been walking through since the beginning, and at the fullness of time, God does something amazing, something miraculous. He sends forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive what? The adoptions as sons, that we might be brought into the family of God. And that's just such a wonderful thing, that now, because of what God has done, something has happened to our relationship with God, but something now has also happened with your relationship to one another. You know, the person to the left and your right is probably well, no, it is more your brother and sister in Christ than any earthly bond that you have, that you will spend eternity with the people who are in Christ. And, and many of those people right now to your right and left are going to be with you. So get used to them. Say hi. Say welcome, because I'm going to know you for a while. And last week, we looked at Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise to David, that he would never lack an heir on the throne, that he would be granted a kingdom that would endure throughout the ages. And God fulfills this promise to David in the person of Jesus, being born in the line of David and coming as the anointed king to establish the kingdom of God in our midst, declaring repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, it is when the king arrives that he can declare that the kingdom is now. And Jesus is the realization of these promises made to David. And this week we turn to Jesus as the anointed one, full of the Holy Spirit, and anointed for the prophetic task of liberating God's people from their oppressors so that they might walk out of darkness and into the glorious freedom that God has promised his people long ago. Would you pray with me, church? God, we're so grateful for this morning that we get to look to you in another picture of who you are, that you are the anointed one, set to redeem us, set to liberate us, sent to heal us, sent to forgive us of our sins so that we might be brought back into a relationship with God Almighty. And so, Lord, we're grateful for this. And today, as we look to these promises, may you stir our hearts and may you begin to do a great work within us And may we see your hand extended to heal, to redeem, to revive and restore even today. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, we all pray together. Amen and amen. You see, as Jesus is beginning his ministry in Galilee, he arrives in his hometown. And he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there he's invited to read from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He then sits down and says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This was Jesus' mission statement. 
He has been anointed, that is, he has been commissioned by God to speak on, be, on his behalf and perform empowered actions in the spirit to release people from their bondage and to heal those who are oppressed with sickness and disease. And when I look out at the world today, friends, it doesn't take long reflecting on my personal relationships and glancing at the major headlines to see that there's a deep need for the anointed one to come and break the chains of bondage and extend his hand to heal. Just a few months ago, the National Center for Health and Statistics reported that the life expectancy in the U.S. dropped for the second year in a row. This has not happened since 1962 and 1963. Some of the major contributing factors to this drop are drugs, alcohol, and suicides. More specifically, another article listed opioids as the leading drug culprit. I mean, this past year, in about, the ma in about the span of one month, either someone I knew or someone related to me knew someone who died from a heroin overdose. You see, friends, this just isn't relegated to the fringes of society anymore. We are being slapped in the face with the tragic effects of addiction. Furthermore, the major contributors to the drop in life expectancy every year are heart disease, cancer, and lower respiratory illness. Guess what? New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut are all in the top 10 of cancer rates. New Jersey, I believe, is number 7, Connecticut number 10, and New York somewhere below New Jersey. These things don't just affect the individuals, though, who are impacted by it. Think about that for a moment. It's not just the individual who, who dies. It's not just the individual who gets ill. It's their families, their friends, their communities they're a part of. We all deeply suffer from these experiences. I mean, just this Friday, I was in small group, uh, in uh, my small group, and one of the members there shared a prayer request about a, a friend who suffered from a heart attack on Tuesday. At 2 a.m., he gets a phone call from the hospital saying, your friend is in the hospital and would you come? So what does he do? He gets in the car. He and his wife, they drive to the hospital to be with their friend. Now, their friend is recovering, and the surgery went well, and this is good, but think about it. Now, his life has to change. His family's life has to change. The, now, my friends are sharing this in our small group as a prayer request because their lives were impacted by this. It do, these things don't just impact us. They impact everyone around us. And when we look at all of this, what we find is that humanity is trapped. It's held victim to the suffering since the time of the fall in the garden with Adam and Eve. Sin has released its fury on humanity and paved the way for sickness to trap us under its oppressive weight. I love the way that one ancient Jewish writer put it. Oh, Adam, what have you done? For though it was you that sinned, the fall was not yours alone, but ours who are your descendants also. Adam's fall was so great that its impact has rattled throughout history and today we're still feeling its effects and tremors are continually popping up in my life, in your life, and in the community's lives around us. In these times of suffering and sickness, we become like those who wander in the valley of the shadow of death. So many are lost and without hope. Yet we just get accustomed to it. We think, well, this is the way it has to be. Because it's always been like this. But is that really what God desires for his people? Is this the reality that God wants for his world to suffer under this oppression? You know, I think God has a very different intention for his people. I believe 
that God has revealed his desire for a people who are walking in darkness and are in need of light to break forth. And the hope of his reality is in the hope of his reality is to transform their situation. And Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, if we look to him, then we know what God's desire is for his people. Jesus, as one person put it, is perfect theology. You see, the situation in Galilee during the first century was not much different than our own. Trapped in darkness and needing a word of liberation for God to extend his hand to heal, Jesus stepped on the scene and the situation begins to change. In the first gospel, Matthew looks at this moment and says something beautiful regarding the hopes of Israel. Now, when Jesus heard that John, who was John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness, they saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. Jesus had come on the scene. And Matthew believes that since the time of Isaiah, a veil of darkness had sat over the region of Galilee. But now the light of the world has arrived. That something new was about to happen, which was prophesied long ago. You see, the region of Galilee was part of the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel was one nation. They were unified. But what had happened was there was a debate about who should be the heir of Solomon. And so one kingdom goes, to, the, the kingdom divides, and, and you have the tribes of Judah and, um, and, and Benjamin in the south, and then you have the tribes, uh, the other ten tribes in the north. And there they decided that, well, they weren't going to worship the God of their ancestors. They were going to build two golden calves and they were going to worship them. They were going to reject their God who had brought them out of Egypt and established them as a nation. And ever since that time, darkness had ruled and reigned over Israel. And it was to those people that Isaiah was prophesying, saying, When they say to you, Consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. That is the response that the people should be given. But rather they go to these other things. And if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. There's no light inside of them. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. And then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. And they will be driven away into darkness. The people of Israel had rejected their God. And now God was going to judge them. To send them out of the land of prosperity and favor. They had consulted the other gods and used witchcraft and sorcery rather than turning to their God and his word to him. Remember, his word is what? A light unto my uh, feet, a lamp unto my path. Therefore, darkness and gloom was their future. Yet God, as always, did not leave his people without a hope that one day he would come and rescue them from their oppressors, that their dark night would not last forever, but dawn would break forth, a new light would shine, piercing through the darkness. In that day of bondage, of their slavery, it would be broken, and the burden of their shoulders would be lifted. The sign that all of this was going to take place, it was the birth of a child. Isaiah continuing 
writes, For a child will be born unto us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You see, when the king arrived to fulfill the promises made to David, that he would be given an heir where God would establish his kingdom forever, light would break forth in the darkness. And Matthew believes this is happening in the ministry of Jesus, writing, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is only the king who can pronounce that the kingdom has arrived. Matthew wants to let us know that the king is here and therefore their dark night is over. For Matthew in the ministry of Jesus, the prophetic hopes from the past that God would come and defeat Israel's enemies, liberate them from her oppressors and establish his rule and reign have come cascading down from the prophetic past into the present and in the words and deeds of Jesus are rushing people forward into the future that God desires for them. Jesus' words and deeds begin to alter the reality around him and the community that he impacts. Matthew summarizes this activity in two places. First in Matthew 4.23 and again in 9.35. Now, just a brief word on this. You have to remember that chapters and verses are a later addition to the text. So the question becomes, how do you organize a text for a listening audience. Because everyone in the ancient world just didn't whip out their iPhones and when you said, you know, go to Isaiah chapter 9, they're just Isaiah 9, boom, verse 6. Oh, excellent, good. You know, and they didn't have Bibles where they could just open it and be like, oh yeah, we can all find, you know, the same spot. So how do you, how do you follow along? Well, you listen. And Matthew therefore frames what we know as chapters 5 through 9 into one section in order to communicate something about Jesus And this is what he writes. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. For Matthew, you can summarize the ministry of Jesus as teaching, as preaching and healing. So what we see in Matthew 5 through 9 are really two subsections. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the teaching ministry of Jesus. Matthew 8 and 9 largely describes the healing ministry of Jesus or the works of Jesus. And all of this together is his proclamation about the kingdom of God being at hand. So if you want to know what Jesus taught, Matthew 5 through 7. If you want to know what Jesus did, Matthew 8 through 9. This is just a big summary statement for Matthew. And then he comes up in Matthew 9.35. This is what he says. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. What was he doing? He was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. And this is the ministry of Jesus. And what I want to draw your attention to specifically in this large section is the first part of chapter 8 and 9, particularly the first verses, 1 through 17. There Matthew tells three stories before we encounter another summary and fulfillment passage. 
He begins with Jesus coming down off the mountains and the crowds followed him. You see, Jesus had gained an audience from his dynamic healing ministry. As news about him spread through all Syria, they brought to him all who were ill, those who were suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Basically, whatever your situation was, Jesus could overcome it. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. You see, if you knew someone had the answer to your problem, you would do everything in your power to find that person. And so what did they do? Everyone from the surrounding regions begins to follow him. And then so when they all began to follow him, he sits down and says, I have a few things to share with you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he continues and begins to teach them. And then as he comes down off the mountain, what happens? A leper comes up to Jesus in verse 2 and asks, Jesus, if you're willing, make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. Be cleansed. At that moment, he's completely cured the moment that Jesus touches him. You see, what should have happened in that moment is that Jesus should have become ceremonially unclean and unable to worship God. But instead of uncleanliness transferring to Jesus, what happens? Healing transfers from Jesus to the leper, and he's made completely whole in that moment. At that moment, he's completely cured. And for me, every doubt about healing... And God's willingness to act needs to be put to rest. God is willing and he is able. And as people come to him, he does not reject them. In the next scene, starting in verse 5, a centurion comes to Jesus and simply begins to explain his situation to Jesus. You see, Jesus, I have this servant. He's at home and he's, and he's, and he's down in bed and he's paralyzed and we don't know what to do. And Jesus says, don't worry, I'll just quickly come. He didn't even ask Jesus to come. He just went up to Jesus, asked him the question. And then Jesus is like, yeah, I'm coming. And then the guy's like, no, 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 you don't. I, I, I'm not worthy for you to come. But just speak a word. If you would just say the word, then my servant will be healed in that moment. And Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Jesus commends his faith and tells him, go and it shall be done for you as you have believed. At that very moment, the servant was cured. And Matthew stacks two stories regarding people making a request of Jesus to be healed. The first person was a leper, an outcast of society, removed from the possibility of worshiping his God because he was unclean. And the second, a man not of the covenant community, not of the people of Israel, has one in his household restored to health because he acknowledged in Jesus an authority beyond any other. The third story involves Peter's mother-in-law. And I will refrain from making any jokes because mine's right here. So. Yes, it's wisdom, yeah. So Jesus walks into the house and sees her lying in bed sick with a fever. And in fact, the severity of the language there is not just simply like laying down, like you're taking a nap, like you lay your kid down to take a nap or whatever. No, this was the same language that was used to describe what had happened to the paralytic. It's the same uh, to the man who was paralyzed, the centurion servant. It's also in chapter 9 when they talk about the person who was paralyzed on the mat. It's the same language used there that they've been just thrown down and they've been in this oppressive position and they can't get up because there's something binding them up in this situation. And let me tell you, I know what it's like to be thrown down with a fever. I was in Israel, uh, you know, with everyone, all 35 people, and really for much of the trip, it was 34 people traveling throughout Israel because I was bound up in bed with a fever, and I know what it's like not to be able to get up, but thank God uh, for prayer and for Tylenol and these wonderful things. But it's not like 
<laughs> it's not like they can run to the drugstore, right? You know, it's not like they can go get some Dayquil and say, you know, here. This was a serious fever that she's bound up in bed and she can't do anything. But what happens? Nobody has to say anything. Jesus walks into the room and just a touch of his hand, the fever left and she experienced perfect freedom from her illness that was crippling her a moment ago. Matthew continues to describe the impact of the healing ministry of Jesus, saying, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were ill. Not a single person who came to Jesus that day left in the same position that they were in. Everyone was changed and transformed, and Jesus is willing to change and transform your situation. And we're getting there. You see, when we see, what we see time and time again is that whatever problem presented itself before Jesus is overcome through his authority. With a word, he cast out demons. There's no hollering, there's no yelling, there's no screaming, just simply with a word. Why? Because the king has showed up and everything must bow before the throne. Now, what I find particularly interesting in this passage is the when. You see, they bring him the sick in the evening. They bring the demon-possessed in the evening. Now, in Mark's gospel, these events happen uh, on the Sabbath so that they come in the evening because the Sabbath is over. Yet Matthew omits this detail. And I believe he does it on purpose because he wants you to realize that the people who were living in darkness came to him in the dark because they wanted their darkness to end. They had seen the light of the world arrive. They had, they had seen hope, and hope had a name, and his name is Jesus. And so every person that came that day, what happened? A new day had dawned. Jesus comes with signs that point forward to the prophetic dawn that would emerge among the, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 that Matthew quotes uh, above in Matthew chapter 4. The light of the gospel was breaking Breaking forth in the ministry of Jesus, destroying the darkness that had held these people in captivity. And now the enemies of God, particularly here, sickness and the devil are being defeated. And Jesus was inviting them and their families to experience healing and hope. For every person who came to Jesus that day, a new day had begun and their dark night had ended. Matthew, again, cannot stop without commenting on the prophetic significance of what is happening. Drawing again from the prophet Isaiah, he writes, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. He's quoting here from, from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And in this passage, we're usually used to hearing about it. What? In the context that Jesus is the lamb who came to suffer so that we would be forgiven of our sins and brought into a relationship with God. That he's the one who bore our iniquities and our transgressions. He himself carried and that by his stripes we're healed. These are all about bringing us back into relationship with God. But what Matthew is concerned with here is something different. When Matthew makes this comment, he's talking about physical healing. He's talking about freedom from demonic oppression. But what's even more interesting is that the people who were there that day didn't hear this. There was no voice from heaven that came and said, you know, here this is to fulfill Isaiah the prophet and, you know, it didn't happen. Matthew does this for his audience. 
his audience when he was writing his gospel some 30 years later because he didn't want them to miss the significance of this event. And every single person that has been reading it since, that means you and me are now hearing this and we're being illuminated to the significance of what's going on here. You see, this internal commentary is for the benefit of you and me. In this moment, Matthew, literally translating from the Hebrew, brings together the work of Jesus on the cross to save and redeem us from sin and ties it together with this power to heal and restore people who are broken and who are in bondage. Jesus offers us freedom from sin and sickness out of both hands. He offers forgiveness from our sins, to bring us into relationship with God and healing for our bodies, restoring us to communion with others and granting us the strength to serve him. Jesus, the brother of Jesus, ties all of this together, writing in James chapter 5. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. So, in, so follow along what's going here. The person, if you're sick, you call for the elders of the church to pray over you, and they anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus, because that's who does the healing. It's Jesus. And their prayer offered in faith will do what? He'll restore the one who is sick. It'll make them whole, and God will raise them up. And if he's committed sins... They'll be forgiven. Notice here, sin and sickness, they're tied together, interestingly. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. So what's his conclusion on this? Confess your sins to one another. Well, who's the one another? He says, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The elder who's praying for the person who's sick confesses his sins to the person he's praying for, and the person he's praying for confesses his sins to the elder, and then they pray for one another so that there might be forgiveness of sins and healing in their lives from sin. The effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. It's amazing what the early church believed. The early church believed that the same Jesus who walked in the land of Galilee to bring forth the prophetic promises of God could heal and deliver you today. Just as if you were with him in that moment, Jesus encourages his disciples, for when two or three of you have gathered in my name, I am there in your midst. Know today that his arm is not too short to handle your situation. Remember, Jesus' response to the leper, I am willing, Jesus is willing to deal with your situation his desire is that you walk in the glorious freedom that he's promised for all God's people. He invites us, like the centurion, to ask him for our needs. And before our request is even finished, Jesus cares enough to hear and respond. You see, when we call on his name, Jesus hears our prayers and is willing and able to come quickly to our aid. Ultimately, I believe Matthew wants us to realize that since the king has arrived, anything that sets itself up against the lordship of Jesus Christ must bow before the king of glory. Jesus just didn't come to save your soul as if the body is just a useless container for our immortality. No, in the beginning, God formed us out of the dust of the earth. He breathed life into us, and you now are fearfully and wonderfully made. But sin has robbed us. 
But one day, God cares so much about our bodies that he will raise us all from the dead. And in that moment, everything that sin took from us will be restored and death will lose its control for death will be swallowed up in victory. And on that day, death will be defeated and the king of glory will reign eternally in his kingdom. And until that day, every time we pray in the name of Jesus, and we see healing break forth. It's a sign that points forward to the day when the victory of God will be complete. And so un, un, no matter how dark it gets, know that light has broken forth and that Jesus has won the battle. He has overcome every single thing that can ever come up against him. And today he wants you to walk in freedom. Stand with me, church, as we get ready to close. I believe that there are three responses today. Three, three clear responses today to the message. The number, the, the number one response is this. You're invited to pursue the freedom that the gospel grants. If you don't know Jesus and have not experienced healing from sin and its power to follow in its power in your life, then I invite you to today to make that decision. In fact, Pastor Chris has already invited you to make that decision. And I'm going to ask you again, if, if you haven't made that decision then today's the day to say, yes, you are Lord of my life and I will follow you and I will let go of my own way. I acknowledge that I've gone astray and I've not followed after you, that you died so that I could experience forgiveness and today I confess that you're Lord and Savior and I believe in my heart that you rose again and that you could restore us to relationship with God. And if you're making that decision, then I simply want you to let us know by texting to the, at number 908 325-5163. I want you to text the word Jesus. I want you to text Jesus to 908-325-5163. And if you do that, I'm going to have the opportunity to follow up with you because I'm going to be the person who's going to contact you. And I want to connect with you if you're making a decision to follow Jesus. Number two. Second thing. You're invited to pursue healing from your sickness, from your addictions, and the liberty from whatever's oppressing you. Know this, that yeah, the world is bound up in all these things, that there's cancer, that there's heart disease, that there's lower respiratory illness. Some, uh, one of the names that many people call it is COPD. There's all these things that are killing people. Opioid addiction, drugs, alcohol, all these things bind us up. Depression. But know today that there's freedom, that there's healing that Jesus is the author of life and all things were created through him and for him. And every time we reach out to him for healing, we declare that to the world that he's our healer, he's our redeemer, and ultimately he's the Lord of every situation. And if that's you, if you want to respond to that, if you want to reach out to Jesus for healing and wholeness, then today I want to invite you to come down to the altar right here. And we're going to have some of our leaders, some of our deacons, some of our pastors, some of our elders come and pray for you. This is where I want you to go because there's a third response. Third response is this. There are some of you here today and your hearts are stirred. You're saying, I, I've seen God work and I want to see God do more. You want to join the mission to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus is on his throne. You want to see Jesus heal and rescue people and redeem them. Remember that after Jesus had done so many of his miracles, he looks out at the people and says that they're like sheep without a shepherd. He says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what's he do in chapter 10? He commissions his disciples and he says, go 
and preach what? That the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. For some of you, Jesus is calling to pursue mission with him. To join him in the proclamation that he is reigning and he is on his throne and that he has empowered us for mission. Because what happens when the spirit of the Lord comes upon you? What? You will become my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why? Because you will receive power to declare that. If that's you, then I want you to come to this side of the altar and we're going to have some people come and pray for you. These are the two responses today. And I understand that I'm going to just close with a brief benediction for those of you who may have to leave. So Lord, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you, God, that you're our healer, that you're our redeemer, that you're our soon coming king. And Lord, we look to you to fulfill your promises in our day, to extend your hand to heal, to set free those who are bound up. Lord, to commission those as your agents, Lord, to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand, to set free people uh, in your name, through your work and your way, God. And so we just look to you today in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Go with God, church. Amen and amen. And if you want to respond to the message for healing, I want you to come down here. If you want to respond to the message to see, to, to join Jesus in the mission, I want you to come down here and we're going to pray with you. Thank you, church. God bless you.